2012, um, my brother David, who's who's uh, closest to me, you know, he had been through some falls and things, and uh, he got um, hooked on opioids and uh, took his life in in 2012. Welcome to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. I'm Petra Belzebor, and this is the place to discuss tips, tricks, and hacks to build your resilience through your worst rock bottoms and get you to a place of success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life, professionals, individuals who've been through their own adversity, and allow them to share their authentic and real life stories, opinions, and ideas about how to utilize our worst rock bottoms and allow them to catapult us into success. Welcome to the show. Welcome everyone to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. Uh, I've done a couple of these today, but I'm still excited to see Matthew Zinman all the way from Philadelphia, all the way um, in his morning, excited to share with us his story. We're excited to have you. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be with you, Petra. It's great to have you. And I know a little bit about you. So I know that you run a business, you're an author, but also a bit about your story, which is the thing that I'm most interested in today. But first of all, give us a little bit of context just to to what you do on a day-to-day basis. What excites you? What makes you want to wake up in the morning? Well, well, quite a few things. Those are a lot of questions all at one time. Uh, So just to put into context, I'm I'm, I'm in Philadelphia, as you said, and uh, I've been here my whole life. And uh, I went to Temple University and went into the field of marketing, communication, public relations, and did that working for agencies for a number of years and started my own company in 2002. Uh, and that was a real big life intersection point we can come back to in doing that in part because I, I got divorced at the time. My, my personal life and my, my business life you know, inter- you know, combined right then and, and have been that way ever since. Uh, my son was two at the time. And then uh, several years after that, I got into the field of uh, internships, apprenticeships, and uh, founded a nonprofit called the Internship Institute. Uh, which also covers apprenticeships, even though the the name being what it is, and I'm still active with that. Uh, it's on the it's on the side burner right now, in part because of COVID, but more so because of uh, the book I've written that just came out, and I'm doing that 100% of the time right now. Yeah, you're a busy guy, um, and I love the title of your book. Give us a little sense of what the book's about, what it's called. Uh, it's called Zisms: Insights to Live By. And uh, it, that's the 26th letter of the alphabet for those who prefer Z. Um, you know, same, you. same by, same by a different, by a different name. <laughs> uh, and uh, it, it really is based on a, a number of things that I, I felt was important to write it. I've been wanting to write it for, for at least 10, 15 years. And it's, I guess I have enough seasoning now. You know, the time has come. But to answer your question, uh, it, it really covers uh, four categories in general. You've got uh, personal discovery and mindset and, you know, everything uh, in, internal to who we are and, and, and that. And then there's the external around personal relationships and, and some, some models uh, for, uh, for some unusual things that, you know, are, are, are unique and presented in the book. And then further into mindfulness. So that escalates through uh, things like uh, swimming with the current, going with the flow, making coincidences matter, uh, into amplifying gratitude, the law of attraction, and then beyond that, uh, into the things that are about finding your why and uh, and achieving them. And then the idea, uh, the book comes out with this uh, winning the battle within and developing a 
life enrichment action plan. It was really important to me to not just have it be a read, but something that people can come away with uh, and, and have a course of action to uh, pursue as they wish. I love this so much. I love all of the headings. This is why I've got you on the show, because it's part of, been part of my recent and historical journey to be thinking about mindset. Even before I had like the phrases of like, ooh, this is the mindset section. I'd be like, holy fuck, how do I think differently in order to survive? You know? Um, right. Yeah. And then you sort of can map it into the model. And of course, there's evidence and science around gratitude and manifestation and all these things, which are fascinating right. at the moment that we actually have more control over the outcome in our life than we think. But also this weird like middle ground, the duality between putting the work in and letting go. Like I'm, that's the, the middle ground that I'm in. It's like learning to let go in business relationships, but equally putting in the work in in a different way than perhaps I was conditioned to uh, as a young, well, through most of our lives in Western society. Um, so we love the topic of, of resilience, developing our mindset on this show. We talk about catalyst moments that effectively can pivot us into a whole different way of thinking, a whole different world. But give us a sense of the young Matthew. So as a child, what was that like? Did you have role models for, for healthy mindsets? Was it a place where resilience was, was being strengthened and taught? Or was it like, what was that like? Give us a sense. Thank you. Uh, well, it, it's interesting in, in trying to reflect on the question you're asking me in real time, but I, I'd say that I have some innate qualities, you know, in the nature versus nurture. And I, a lot of, in a lot of ways, I point to um, playing ice hockey. It's something I've done since uh, I'm six years old. Um, I'm, I'm in my 50s now and I'm still playing. So, you know, it's been a, it's been a, a huge part of, of my life and, and defining me and my friendships and, and all of that. And, you know, the, at the foundation of the of, uh, of the concept of the book, for example, is is earned confidence, and it's it's basically the fact that we've been through everything that we've been through in our lives, and we're we're survivors, right? We're still standing, and so it's a reminder that uh, no matter what happens, you you know you you can overcome everything you have, so you'll overcome everything that comes your way, as if we have a choice in that way anyway but the main thing is to remind you to stay present and not worry and be anxious and stress or have regret and those sorts of things that take you out of the present that are completely unnecessary and negative so i was looking for some of the um some of the you know the the root of of you know that concept for me and, and how it developed and I, I looked to some of the early experiences and one of which is that in, in the first summer I was playing hockey, uh, you know, I could barely stand on my blades, and uh, we were on the ice with uh, older kids, and I was, you know, just innocently standing where I was, and someone took a slap shot, and the puck curved and uh, hit me in the, in the jaw, bro broke my jaw in three places. And, you know, my poor mom, right? Right. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, that, that was a defining moment. Yeah. Even even at that young age, because it was very important to me to keep playing. To to uh, you know, it was I was I was I was living life through a straw for some time there, and uh, and then the 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 fact that as a defining moment, I was able to get back into it, have the love of the game. Uh, you know, here in the states, 
the Philadelphia Flyers, of course, my team. Uh, uh, they were the Stanley Cup champions at the time, right? So that was a big influence. When you ask me, well, yeah, I think the Flyers probably had the, you know, the influence on, like on my, level. on my on great level. Yeah. yeah. Oh, mom and dad, you're great. No, I think it was the Flyers, you know, at that age. But did you, but, but did you have messages from, I don't know, if you have siblings or coaches or parents that was like, get on with it? Like, even if, if, if you know, you can have a culture in a household that's like, we just, we're a family who gets on. We're, I often say this to my kids. I go, we're a family that shows up. <laughs> um, right. What, what about you? Well, it's interesting. I think it's, a, it's part of it's a cultural thing, right? So back at that time period, it was, you know, my parents, I think most parents are pretty hands off here. It was like, go out and play. And if, you know, after dark, feel free to come home if you want. You know? if you're hungry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. When you're, so, you know, that that's inconceivable, uh, you know, today, aside from, uh, you know, what we're dealing with with COVID. Uh, but yeah, I love my parents. I mean, they're great. I'm the youngest of four. So I think there's another factor. I'm five years behind my next brother. Yeah. And so, you know, been there, done that. And, you know, parents let go a little bit more. Each child, they let go a little bit more and they just go, oh, they'll figure it out. They'll bounce back. And the right. Well, more you know, at that age and, you know, back to that root of ice hockey and around nine or 10, I mean, I was going up to Canada for training every summer, you know, put me on a plane and, you know, eight weeks away from home. You know, that was certainly defining uh, uh, parts of my life for sure. That is. And, and that, but all of these things that are defining, they build resilience. So the, the painful moments, the stressful moments, the exciting ones where you've got to grow up quickly and you fill in all the blanks, right? Those are the small moments that build resilience. But also team sport has that ability to teach you. You fall, you get up. Your team backs you up. You back them up. Like all the lessons from sport are really lessons for life, aren't they? Absolutely. You know, I saw somewhere and I, I can't credit the, uh, the source, but I believe it's true uh, in, in analyzing uh, you know, people who have achieved a certain level of success, that there is a, um, a commonality that they've either played uh, an organized sport, they served in the military, or they practiced a martial art. Yeah. I'm, so if you've done one of those things, you, you have an advantage. I'm with seems. you there. I wonder about being raised in a cult, if that's part of it, because you've got a group thing, and you got to manage the team, you got to be hypervigilant, like all that stuff plays I mean, a part. <laughs> I can't speak to it, but I imagine there was a lot of structure, and I don't want to make light of it either. That's quite a thing. Yeah. I mean, so. there was structure and design, and it takes some fight to begin to think for yourself when you get a little bit older. Right. Um, so talk me through, let's jump straight into the deep end of some of those catalyst moments for you. You say defining moments. And I know that those moments with a nice title of defining and catalyst often feel pretty horrific and intense when you're in them. So I'd love to know what were some of those moments for you? So I'd say, and I'm just going to kind of skim through the years a little bit and, and the things that shape, have shaped me and, and did at the time and certainly do true to this day. Uh, one is that I've had to contend with depression since my since my early teens, and uh, I I kept to myself and I was a little bit of a loner kid too, um, and you know even again now I, I have to manage that that has a, a lot to do with taking care of myself and my daily living. Um, another thing which was uh, quite tragic as it gets is that uh, in my in my in my early twenties. Something was wrong with my mom, and, and we weren't really sure what it was, and and it, they kind of kept it to themselves. And finally, it was disclosed that she had a routine surgery and had tainted blood. She contracted HIV, and 
you know, she was actually one of the first women, uh, you know, on record in that, at that very time. And she got the worst of it. I, I mean, and bringing a caretaker and th those next 10, 12 years and, and her deterioration, uh, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't get more difficult um, uh, and, and, and things that you stay with you uh, through the years. Uh, so that, that certainly at that age was nothing could even come close. And I imagine you're angry as well because of the way that it happened and the, the senselessness or the preventable way that it happened. I've seen all, you know, there's been all the emotions and, you know, at this point it's so long ago. Um, and, you know, she's, she's gone almost 25 years at this point and she had it for, you know, she, you know, stayed with it and, and went through the worst of it for the, you know, the 10 to 12. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, of course there's a lot of anger at the time and what we experienced and a lot of it had to do with, you know, as she, um, you know, was lost more and more of her over time, really wanting to make the most of the times that the good times that we could have and an appreciation, you know, going out of your way to really try and be present, uh, to, uh, to hold on to those things and try and hold on to the good memories when honestly there were a lot more bad ones. Um, so, so that was certainly, you know, I mean, what more can I say on that, on that point in the moment? And, you know, look, I mean, wherever anybody is in life, they're, you know, to whatever degree, they're going to experience all kinds of things they've had to overcome. And I, I'd say I'm, I'm a little bit above average on that front without too much of a comparison. Um, you know, continuing to answer your question in terms of just, of just highlights. Um, I, as I mentioned, um, you know, had a young son and, and was a single dad uh, while starting a business because I needed that flexibility and, and the freedom to be with my son half the time that he was with me. And, you know, I'm in my apartment, my, you know, my flat, uh, and, uh, you know, changing diapers, washing bottles, you know, a two-year-old, you know, a single guy, I mean, that's, you know, that's pretty defining. Uh, and then I'd say, and, and I was a single dad for a number of years. I'm remarried now and have a stepdaughter who's 15. My son's now 19. And probably the other one would be in 2012, um, my brother, David, who's, who's um, closest to me, you know, he had been through some falls and things and uh, he got um, hooked on opioids and uh, took his life in, in 2012. So, I don't know that I've ever quite gone through my life highlights in that way, right? In in the, the lowlights in a way. It's like to lead to the highlights. Wow, wow! You're just pile, I'm just piling them on here. But to answer your question, I, you know, those are some of the things that uh, certainly uh, are very uh, intense and defining. Completely, and can can really make or break. And I say make in a very you know sensitive, kind way that you know they can either allow us to make them be defining moments, or they can impact us in a pretty horrific way. I'm curious about through all of these challenges, so you're talking depression as a teenager, the situation with your mom, and then finally your brother, and I'm sure there were plenty of other little ones along the way. Um, and, and of course, uh, being a single dad, what was your mindset like at the time? So were you able and capable to talk to people about how you were feeling? Did you know, did you have a language around mental health and depression? so that you could be open and get support? Or was it more of a keep it all in, kind of the toxic masculinity frame of just show, show no weakness? What was your like coping mechanism? 
I, I do have to smirk a little bit at the toxic masculinity comment, but that's okay. Uh, no, for real, I, 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 was, I was the far side of being open and seeking support and, uh, and, and friendship and, and certainly um, counseling had, you know, that was something that, and when my mom originally disclosed what was going on with her, their family meeting was called, you know, to, to do so in, you know, in the presence of a professional and, um, you know, being very much into personal development in particularly in my early to mid twenties, you know, into my early thirties, uh, for sure. I was, I was consuming a lot of that and it, it also gave me an, another foundation for just coping skills and things throughout my life that uh, I've, I've had to face and, and reinforcing the, the, the grit factor. Uh, again and, and again and again. Again and again and again, right? We, you know, it's just, it's, you know, it's a hockey analogy. You know, you get knocked down, you have to get back up at least one more time. And, uh, and that's what you do. Um, and, and in any one of these cases, there's no other way but through. And, and so if I point to the depression, for example, and I, I fast forward and, and, and it's, it's uh, relevance in, in real time, you know, on a day-to-day basis. And I do, I do have a chapter just educational because I didn't want to dance around mood health. And there's, a, uh, there's actually a mood scale that's illustrated that really talks about, well, what would be perfect balance mood, right? Whoever, whatever that is and, and however long that can be sustained. But, you know, that normal range, however that is ever defined, either of normal, happy, normal, sad. But what happens when you start dipping? And you have one down day and then a second down day. And so for me, I have to be hyper cautious not to let a third or a fourth because that's like starting to sink into quicksand. And uh, the harder it is to, to get yourself out. And so I just don't give myself a choice. I, I create structure. I reach out. Um, I listen to music. I work out. Uh, you know, all those kinds of things that anyone might find for themselves to be their coping skills. And yet, at the same time, you could also be dealing with, uh, you know, brain chemistry and imbalance where you might need to reach out. Uh, and there, I'm sure there are a lot of people right now who, in all the things that they have to be going through and in, in adapting to somewhat of a new of a new normal, right? Whatever that is for them, or abnormal, you know how and how are you coping with that? And certainly those kinds of things, and uh, you know, having to really parent yourself in a way, and and just not give yourself a choice to do the things you have to. I love all of that, just the self-awareness that you've obviously learned through the tough times of acknowledging, you know, the, the, the bit that um, leads up to the maybe bigger bout of depression and knowing what you need to do at what point. Um, what's the, what do you think is the biggest misconception around depression? So with friendships or family or partners, you know, who might be supporting somebody who's experiencing depression, what's the misconception and how can the person on the outside perhaps understand and help? So I'm trying to process the, the, you know, and it's just a vernacular of the, the misperceptions and things like that. I think it comes down to that there's just no substitute for experience at all. And, you know, you can be uh, a doctor, uh, but if you've never experienced what it's actually like to go through those things, you have that disconnect. And, and the same thing goes for uh, anyone who's really never experienced depression. I think I think for one, the, the whole issue of mental health is, is, is somewhat odd to me because, you know, the brain is part of the body, right? Exactly. You know, there's, yeah. no, there's no separation uh, here in that way. And yet we, um, 
you know, it's, it's got that taboo and, and I, I, it is something that I feel so important to, to take head on. Um, the mis, the, the, I, I think I'm just, I'm just processing here, but I think everyone to a certain degree has experienced it at a, yeah. at some level, right? We all get yeah. down, but if you, if, if what you think you're down is, but you're not really com- a, a person who's legitimately experiencing true depression, you're nowhere close to what it's like. That's how many levels lower it can get. Right. From the mild to the moderate to the, you know, neck deep in that quicksand and unable to move. Uh, And, and what do you do? And so I I think number one, that a lot of people, when they experience depression at, at first, the, the most difficult part of it is you don't realize it. It's almost, it's, it's almost like, that experience of like spring is here and like, ah, you know, like I feel like myself. And then you look back and like these last three months, I could, you know, so sluggish and I couldn't move. Right. That's like a low level depression. That's really almost unrecognizable, but then you can, when you sink deeper, you're, it just becomes so much more distorted, like the opposite of rose colored glasses and seeing the world in, in, in bright colors, you, you know, everything seems so dismal and, and you lose, you lose sight of the fact that even as bad as you feel, you have to realize that things won't always feel this way. Like that's the life preserver um, uh, legitimately that you have to, you have to keep in mind, even if you don't feel that way. Uh, to the question that you have in, in supporting, I mean, we all have people around us that we love and, I, and to whatever degree you can tell someone is depressed, again, it can be hard. They can feel that inside and never disclose it. Yeah. So, and, and that's probably the case in suffering and silence more than not. One thing I will say that I think is somewhat of a benefit to uh, what's happening now is the necessity of telehealth. And it's no longer as much of a barrier to say, oh, I've got to make, you know, an appointment with some, you know, witch doctor and go lie on a couch somewhere. Um, you literally can have access to professional help much easier, you know, with a phone call and, and, and a, a video conversation. So um, as you understand from what the things are that we talked about, this is so um, deeply important to me. And the, uh, the fact of, of what happened with my brother and, and in that chapter, I, I literally write and have an image for the suicide hotline. And, you know, for those who are suffering in silence and are really at the point, maybe even of not being able to keep yourself safe, to, you know, stay, 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 stick around and, and, and reach out for help. And, you know, and part of that could very well be, um, uh, you know, talk therapy or talking to friends only gets you so far. If you're dealing with a, a true chemical imbalance where you need antidepressants or some combination of something, I, in my experience, believe that's at least 70% of, the, of what you need to get yourself all the way out. It takes time to get the right thing to work. It's, it's such a hit or miss. So I know we're very deep on the topic, but it is something I think people are very susceptible to right now. Yeah. And, um, and hopefully those who are hearing this will will reach out in whatever way. And, and, and those who suspect maybe people aren't quite themselves will do a little bit more checking in because you know, it's essential. Absolutely. I love those real practical, practical actionable steps um, uh, for self-awareness and managing yourself, taking personal responsibility, which sometimes we forget about when we're in the, the darker places, but equally reaching out. There's no shame in medication if that's something that's useful, but equally mindfulness. I know you touch on a lot of these topics in your book uh, in order to, to kind of channel how you're thinking. Um, I'd love to just, um, before we go further into some of those, those skills and where you're at now, um, 
the aftermath of your brother taking his life. And I know there were siblings left and, and, and sort of there's always a, this ripple effect, isn't there? How have you made sense of it? Like, how do you get through finding out to having some kind of perspective or do you ever get to a point where you can come to some kind of peace around something like that? I, I honestly don't think there's any such thing as full closure on something like that. Um, it's really, uh, it's, you know, you're a little bit of a walking wounded um, and, and how you manage that with anything else that you have that you've experienced as wounds that you have to carry that, that, that make you stronger and, and, and turning things into as much of a positive and having good memories of, of those that you have. Same as with my mom. Um, as he was going through that and it was over, you know, unknown to, to us to some degree over a period of time, um, he closed himself off. So there, even though we all live fairly close together, we weren't seeing a lot of each other. We weren't really talking on the phone and we all have our own families. Um, so it was kind of hard to know exactly what was going on. Um, and, you know, we knew there was, we knew there was trouble. It's something that you ever, you know, we kind of, we, we, we were certainly concerned about it at the time. Actually, it wasn't a complete surprise, but he was so insulated and pushed people away that you just couldn't get to him. Um, it's different than depression when you're dealing with addiction. Oh yeah, I've had both, so I know of like the the whole nine yards. Yeah, right. Inside you, you do you end up um, pushing people away completely. Uh, there's so much shame connected to it, um, knowing that there, there's a feeling of being weak because you you you're in the cycle, right? And you think once you've had a bad sort of response that you you know I'll never do this again. The amount of times that we say that to ourselves, I'll clean up my act. I had young kids when I was in the, the heart of my alcohol addiction and was putting them in danger and there was chaos just, just everywhere. Um, and still I could pretty much put on a face that was like stoic and look right. together, you right. know, so that people just wouldn't simply wouldn't see the chaos that was going on underneath. And I, and I almost didn't have the language for expressing it other than sort of anger or rage or chaos, which pushes people away in a different way. You know? That's right. That's right. And that's actually an accurate description of some of what was going on for sure. And, um, you know, glad we're in better places in that way. Well, exactly. Yeah. So um, I, I love how you're being really realistic about this too. And there will, people that, that there will be people that will never get to this perfect Zen place about some of the horrific things that have happened in their life. Um, I want to touch on grief, and, and you've had it in, in sort of different shocking ways, but many people may be experiencing grief in some way. And we've had some people on who, who've been experts in this topic, actually, um, and they've talked about how it is different for everyone. And you do go through these phases, and um, there, there's different sort of tricks that allow you to manage it, which was good language that you use. It's about how do you manage moving forward, being present, and investing in the people around you. But for you, do you have any sort of tips or ideas on, on, on managing grief? I'm, I'm thinking about that and I'm trying to understand how, uh, how that might be just from my experiences. Oh, I'm not going to say so, so different for me, but it, it's hard to process because so, for example, with my, my, both my parents are long gone and my grandparents as well and, and, and my brother, right? So, you know, I've kind of been through yeah. through quite a bit in that way but especially with my mom when you go through that experience of almost losing her almost losing her almost losing over her, and over over yeah. and over again you know that's that's that creates a, a different dynamic with with what 
grief is and the experience of it. And you just kind of brace yourself for it and, and almost expect it. And, and then it gets to the point where you're just, wow, she's at peace or same thing with my brother, you know, you, it's difficult to make sense of it, but he was in a lot of pain and, you know, in his own way. And I don't know that he really could see a way out. And, and now he's, you know, he's at peace. I, those are some of the things that, you know, what choice do we have? Yeah, there's, there's, it's like anything, whether it's grief or the, any other difficulties, there's no other way but through. Well, well, you say that, and that's true. There's no other way than through as far as time passing. And, and you know, if you, you, you either take your own life or you complete, continue to show up at life. But I have seen people do it, and there's sort of this fork in the road, right? So you can go through, but you can um, numb your own pain. You can start using alcohol. You can start avoiding. You can start right. playing really safe, never taking risks, not putting, never wanted, never doing another relationship for fear of losing the person, the risk right. there. And I for other that. people like yourself and myself and other people we've had on the show, they've chosen this other fork where you're going to go through and you're going to thrive. You're going to impact other people. You're going to bring meaning to the challenges that you've had in order to support other people through things. So I feel right. there's this distinctive through has different shows up in different ways for different people. I know that you're thriving and doing that bit. So like, right. how do you go there? Well, I'm a little, I have a greater clarity about your question. And, you know, we talk about, about coping with things. I, the first thing that doesn't come to mind is don't do this or don't do that in terms of self-destruction. So yes. I guess the first point is you know, don't self-destruct. Number one, that would be the last thing that they would want you know, you have to honor them. You know, if you're talking about death, you know, you have to, you have to turn it to, um, you know, the best of it in relation to yourself. And so when it comes to not being self-destructive, you know that if you're going to honor them in the way uh, that, that you'd want to, not to, you know, they wouldn't want that for you, right? So yeah. there are different things that you say to yourself and yeah. things you need to do, you know, to... Whew, it's really tough, you know, how people handle this. I mean, for me, in terms of the positive, you know, the the physical exercise, the ice hockey, the 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 gym routine, the structure, um, whether that's for depression, the staying connected, the positive experiences, um, the uh, managing of energy, not only within myself but with the people around me. Of you know, this person's a real drain on me right now. I I really just don't have the I just don't have that gear, you know, for I, I've got to take care of myself. And, and if I give too much of that away, I, it's going to be detrimental. So knowing that about yourself, but, and being honest with the person, you know, yeah, who might be yeah. leaning on you and say, you know what, that's just, I just don't have it. Um, but also seeking the, the positive uh, people who, up, who lift you up. Um, you have to be proactive about that. Yeah, I love that. So, so absolutely, it's taking personal responsibility to put the things in place that can work for us to lift our mood, our mindset, and allow us a different perspective and a chance of actually showing up at life in a different way. Um, I want to ask you one final question, but before I do, where can people find you? We've got the book. Where's what's your website? Where can people find you if they're interested in finding out more? Uh, thank you, Petra. I uh, Zism's insights to live by, love it. Uh, or or the Z still the same letter, um, has a website, which is, uh, as he said, uh, it has a hyphen, isms, isms.com, uh, some free resources there. You can read the first part of the book. I mean, the only thing I ask of anyone who's a, 
the least bit interested is go read the you know, for free, the first part of the book, uh, the introduction will tell you all about it. You'll know if you want to keep reading. It's like a personal conversation. And, uh, and as I think hopefully you've gotten a sense, uh, I, I want to help as much as possible. So there's a lot of practicality and, and action steps in there. And um, the thing that you talked about with the law of attraction and the things that are effortful, uh, I, I'd love to, to talk with you more about, because we definitely go deep there uh, around finding your why and, and life achievement um, and, and so forth. So there's that. And then whatever version of Amazon, you'll certainly be able to find it there. Uh, and the reviews have all been, uh, have all been um, gratefully very good. So, Well, um, and that's a great um, component to this, which is when you have some kind of why, as you call it, a purpose, a manifestation, or even a simple vision for your future, what do you want? How can you map it out? It makes the smaller investments that we need to do every day, such as meditation, exercise, the stuff that lifts our mood enough, it gives it a purpose rather than, oh God, I got to meditate again. I got to do, I got to work out again. Like every day is a new sort of Groundhog Day thing. But when we have that higher purpose of whatever it might be for you, but you've done the self-development to clarify it, it makes all that little stuff worthwhile in my perspective. So that's like the missing component maybe that we, were, we didn't talk about yet. Yeah. Can we spend another minute on it? Please go for it. Okay. So I, I really think that when we go into the areas of personal development and, and the law of attraction, and I think, you know, I summarized, it's more also an educational chapter in a way, well, what is it? Um, yeah. And it boils down to, in my view, you know, what we expect tends to happen, right? So when you, when you connect that back to worrying, for example, if you believe in the law of attraction and you're a worrier, then you're contradicting yourself because worrying could actually cause that, right? You, you're worrying about things you don't want to happen. And then when you go over into beyond that, you know, the law of attraction can be very uh, transactional. Um, there's only so much you can do. Things like books don't write themselves. You know, big goals and, and your why, you know, those things are effortful. So how do you combine that, 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 that vision and work backwards from it in such a way uh, to make that achievement inevitable? That's where we go in, in, in after um, the uh, Amplifying Gratitude Law of Attraction area um, to... Uh, to bring it about in, in as straight a line as possible, right? Because of, of all the things that life can, you know, can, can throw our way. So, um, I, and, and I guess the last thing I'll say is when you look at the, because everything's like a groundhog day right now, I think for a lot of people. That's true. Um, and, and one of the things I, I think is important to look at is how do we turn the challenges, difficulties that we face now, whatever those may be in our lifestyle changes or, or, or work loss or anything, somehow to our advantage, whether that's a, another door opening or an enriching time with our family, or if you fast forward, you know, uh, two years down and you want to reflect on what this time period was, what would you want that to be? Um, and personal development is another area that we have an opportunity to, uh, to turn our attention to and do. I love that. There's great opportunity right now to reflect, map out, read the book, do the exercises, think about that big vision and the big picture. Um, and I love the manifestation thing. I do like get, get the book guys because um, really getting it explained and understanding the practice is crucial uh, because some people go immediately to the, oh, it's this fluffy woo woo thing. But there's so much science now behind intention and, and neuroscience and brain scans and all this stuff around when we do that, like there's an effective methodology that occurs um, in our consciousness. And I mean, it's a total rabbit hole, but fascinating and allows us to think about what's actually possible for us. 
no matter what is in our past. And those of us who have had things in our past catalyst moments, what I consistently see is the resilience and the ability to observe a crisis such as COVID and sort of observe it from a distance and go, hey, like I've been through stuff before and I've gotten through it. I'm going to get, you know, have that certain inner confidence around it. I mean, do you find the same thing? Just that resilience piece. Absolutely. I, I think it, I, I think everything points to positive and negative energy and, yeah. and pointing yourself, uh, you know, in the right direction and what you need to do to, to stay on, on the best side of, the, of that ledger to uh, enrich your life and, 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 uh, and, and avoid the suffering part. Well, exactly. You can have the bad stuff, but we get to avoid the suffering if we shift our perspective. I love this so much. So my final question is just like a side point that's just coming to me. So I've got um, a 16-year-old and a 13-year-old. I think you said you have a 19-year-old and a 15-year-old. A right. boy and girl. I've got a boy and girl as well. And I'm curious about, from a parenting perspective, you know how we want to protect our kids and we want to be like, oh, I don't want them to go through the same stuff I did. I want to protect them. But equally, I know that challenge builds grit and allows you to eventually um, sort of lead your best life. So what are you like as a parent when it comes to protective versus, no, go face the challenge kind of parenting because of your own experience, I guess? Um, let me step that up one, one, one point to the Please practical do. side of parenting, yeah. because I, I'm certainly not the perfect parent like any others out there. But, you know, what, what I've learned, you know, and my son just going off to college and actually one of the parts um, in the prevention is, um, and he, with his permission, uh, publishing the letter that I wrote him when I dropped him off at his, at his dorm. And, you know, certainly I covered a lot of ground, you know, at this point, you know, how much influence do I have over him? And, and uh, and yet, what is the one point you want to drill? And and on that point, it's uh, just make good decisions. Like you know, you hope that you've calibrated their compass well enough through their life that they know what that is, and you know that's the mantra, right? In that moment, yeah. oh, I got to make a good decision here. Like oh, you know, like he should be cursing me out right at that point. And I'm hope he does just to make him make a good decision. But you know, the other thing where what you just described that I think is hopefully the best parenting advice is um, is to say go figure it out a Love lot that. more go figure it out um because our job is to make our kids self-sustaining i think we have a tendency to be overprotective and you know i think as a single dad that certainly had a part of the dynamic and trying to do so much for him and things and and i regret it i, I think he'd be he's getting more self-sufficient i don't want to cut him down in an interview but i think that i think that that's really the key um, and, uh, and I can point to my stepdaughter and how, uh, you know, my wife, Erica raised her and wow, I mean, I could send her across the world and with a quarter in her pocket and not even worry about her. Uh, so, uh, say, go figure, if there's something that there's something to be done with your, with your child and you think it through and it's something they can go figure out themselves, your answer needs to be go figure it out. And that means sitting with the discomfort of whatever concern or worry or letting go in a way and trusting that they've got to build their own character in their own way and develop themselves. They have to learn by doing it themselves. There's no other way to learn that some of that than without doing it. So you have to make them whether they like that. it or not. Um, Matthew, thank you so yeah. much. Your book sounds outstanding. Well done on the achievement in the first instance. Um, and for all the insights that you, they're obviously just rich from your own experience. We really appreciate your insight and having you on the show. We'll put everything into the show notes. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks to everybody listening. And thanks so much for having me, Petra. I really appreciate it.
Thanks for listening to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. Please do subscribe and review on iTunes. Every comment makes a difference. We really appreciate hearing from you. And please do get in touch through PetraBelzebor.com if you're interested in any training, coaching, therapy, or just to join the community and get more information on ways that you can build your own resilience. Until next time.